Hey everyone, welcome to Resilience Unraveled. This podcast is the result of my fascination with subjects like resilience, accountability, burnout, life fulfillment and other life and work-based performance issues, as well as many of the other obsessions I bump into in my life. I spend my time working with highly successful teams, people and organisations, and this podcast introduces their remarkable stories and expertise, as well as my own synthesis of the key issues, strategies, tips, tools and resources to thrive in life. If you find this podcast useful, why not go over to our site qedod.com. If you'd like some resources on how to manage and beat burnout, head to qedod.com forward slash burnout 2019 for some goodies. Stay tuned to the end to find out details of how to order a free ebook. Enjoy the podcast. And so today I'm talking to John Lamerton. Now, uh, John was introduced to me from uh, a couple of my um, friends over at the Next 100 Days podcast, uh, Graham and Kevin, uh, where I heard him chatting away and talking about all sorts of really interesting stuff. And uh, I have to say, I spent a good 35 minutes disagreeing with everything he said. So I can't wait to talk to John Lamerton today. Hi, John. Hi, <laughs> Russell. It's, I was going to say it's great to be here, but I might change my mind now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's just, it's, it is quite interesting. I'm one of those people that, well, we'll get on to what you're, you're all about in a minute, but actually I have to say I spent 35 minutes disagreeing, but then I did find myself agreeing in the last 10 minutes. So I think, you know, it's that, it's that how you win people over, that sl- long, slow burn. Okay, I'll, I shall do my best. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so um, well, talk to tell us a little bit about yourself, John. Well, how would you describe what you do? Oh, that is one of the toughest questions for me to answer, Russell. Because I, well, I, I can ask you something else. So, the, have you, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> there you were thinking that was a softball question to open with. Can you talk uh, to me about uh, the Orlog theory of nuclear, nuclear dynamics? Okay, yeah, that was maybe an easier question then. <laughs> so, my, my go-to answer, Russell, is uh, I write personal development books for normal people. Um, so I've been running small businesses for about 19 years now, uh, after self-teaching myself web design, business, marketing, everything like that. I was a former civil servant back in the day, taught myself all the skills I needed to do to run a business and really got the bug back in the early 2000s for running small businesses. Um, since then, I've been involved in about 60 different small businesses. Uh, some we've exited, some we've closed down, some we're still sort of involved with. And these days, I've got a couple of businesses of my own. Uh, I'm an angel investor in a couple of other businesses. And I've started writing these these personal development books over the last couple of years. Interesting. And you sort of describe them as personal development books for normal people. Does that imply there are a particular range of books out there for abnormal people? For abnormal people, I think so. I think um, one of the... One of the comments I received a lot from my first book was that I really love the down-to-earth style, the plain English. There's no, there's very little jargon in here. I, I describe myself as a normal bloke from Plymouth. And I think people really resonate with that because I can read a book from Richard Branson or Duncan Bannatyne and all these guys that are many many levels above me and you know net worths of billions or half a million half a billion or whatever and there's a big disconnect there because ultimately you know if i if you read sir richard branson's latest book on page one he's a billionaire looking to go to outer space um now that to me 
means there's a huge disconnect between where I am now in my business and you know, as the reader of the book and the hero of the book, Sir Richard, now I want to put myself in the hero's role. So a normal bloke from Plymouth who's just done all right for himself, yeah, I can I can picture myself in that role. That's achievable, I think. And that's that's a key thing for me is I like to I like to try and explain things as simply as I possibly can. And this comes from one of my business heroes, Warren Buffett, who is renowned for taking fairly complex things, not, you know, not any of the uh, tough matters we mentioned just now, but he can take a complex idea and distill it to its simplest form into almost a 10 to 12 word quote. And I think people, and, people don't appreciate that that is, a, that is a hugely difficult and yet such an important skill. Absolutely. Um, if you, I've studied scott adams recently the dilbert cartoonist yes yes and he you know he's now the master of that because over the last 25 30 years he has had to chop every single word down because he's only got three frames per day to work with with his cartoons yeah so he may want well this is really a seven frame cartoon doesn't matter you've got to be tough i've got to distill this down to its absolute simplest form Interesting. And so, and so why small businesses? Was, um, because a lot of people um, sort of look down on small businesses. And as I'm a fan of small businesses myself, and my clients are often very large businesses, but I've run small businesses. And I think it takes a specific or a particular type of person to run. It, so so what, was your, what was the attraction for you? It does. I mean, I started off running small businesses because I didn't have a big business. I didn't have a lot of money. So my aims, though, were to grow big businesses. When I was in my early 20s, I, you know, I, I was studying Richard Branson, Alan Sugar. The, these were my heroes. These were the guys that I was heading towards. Um, if you had spoken, if we'd spoken, I don't know, say 15 years ago, I would have told you that what I want is a skyscraper with my name on the side. I want a yacht parked out in the bay. I want a country estate. I want three or four supercars on my driveway. And I had this Real pivotal moments, not long after my first son was born in 2009. And he's been three months old at the time. I'm sat in an MOT garage here in Plymouth waiting for my car to be repaired. And I'm reading Alan Sugar's autobiography, um, What You See Is What You Get. And I'm reading this book thinking, right, this is it. I'm going to be the next Amstrad. You know, 10 years from now, I'm going to be hosting The Apprentice. I'm going to be, um, you know, sitting in the House of Lords. This, this, this is where I'm headed. And I saw this one line that leapt out at me. Bear in mind, I've got a three-month-old baby son at home. And that line was, I never really saw my kids much when they were growing up. Yes. And oh my God, in that moment, I knew I, I got it all wrong. I had everything wrong. And all, in, just in that moment, the skyscrapers, the yacht, the country estate, the supercars, they all melted away. And I realized that what I really wanted was to be there for that boy, for that child, to be at every sports day, to be at every assembly, to just be there whenever he needed me. And that, in that moment, I realised what was important. It wasn't the money. It was the freedom that the money afforded me. I don't need the country estate. I need the time to go and walk around a National Trust country estate. 
I don't need the supercars, you know, I need the freedom to be able to go and have a supercar experience. And I think it's interesting and, how the modern world's changing away from this idea of buying stuff mm. um, and, mo and moving towards experiences, moving towards, you know, authenticity and, you know, how many, how many cars can you drive? And it, it is interesting how many people get themselves into massive debt or working long hours to fund a lifestyle of buying a load of old rubbish, which they never use in the first place. It's, exactly. it, it's I think quite the, old, isn't it? It is. The ownership economy's gone now, I think. Yes. Um, our children are now 10 and 7. Yes. And we've had conversations recently about um, driving, because we're still you know, seven years at the earliest away from our children learning to drive. And I don't think they'll own cars. I really do not think our children will own a, own a car at all. They will just summon an Uber when they need it. It will take them where they need to go. It will probably be self-driving by then. But there's no need for them to own it. Why would they want to spend? You know, we all always used to say that your car was your second biggest purchase after your home. But why would you want to spend twenty, thirty thousand pounds on something on a hump of metal that's going to sit rusting on your driveway? Yeah. And, and it's and it's quite odd. In such a short, as well as almost in one generation, I remember, you know, um, I'm trying to think. I, I think even the last generation was sort of saying, you know, having a car, especially for guys, was sort of a real aspirational thing and, you know, pottering around underneath the bonnet and all that sort of yeah. stuff. It was, it was all what it was about, wasn't it? It was, it was, Absolutely. It was the thing, wasn't it? And I think it's, it's actually really relaxing now that we're moving away from that, um, this sort of slavery of that economy it's uh, because it did really it really did trap people into this sort of negative cycle didn't it absolutely and you know, there's lots of talk about generation rent with the houses now but actually you speak to a lot of generation rent and their generation rent not just because they can't afford to get on the housing ladder but because they don't want to because they want the freedom of saying well if i'm the up sticks and live in a different city three months from now, I can, I've got that freedom. And it is, freedom is that magic word, I think. Yes. Uh, why not? And so small businesses gave you that freedom as well and allowed you to do the sorts of things? Uh, or Because I've, actually they're really, they're much, much tougher, aren't they? Because it's uh, the scrabbling, the hustling, the chasing, the, the, the resilience you need to actually run a small business is very different to the resilience you need to work in a, a large business. It is. It's a completely different skill set, Russell. And I, I think you use the word hustle there, which is my, my go-to. Um, I have a hatred, an irrational hatred of this word hustle. Um, because I think it is embraced by a lot of business owners that we need to hustle, we need to grind, we need to work 100-hour weeks, you know, nose to the grindstone. We don't. We need to figure out what, again, what the simplest path is. We need to do the right things and we need to do the right things routinely. And that is, it took me a while to figure that out because I used to work the 100-hour weeks. Once I had this epiphany that, you know, I'm sat in the MOT garage and I want to be there for my son, nine, eight months after that, I went part-time in the business because my son was starting nursery. I was going to help with the childcare. So I went from 100-hour weeks to about 20, 20, 20 to 25 hours per week. So in that moment... I had to cut, I had to stop doing 75 to 80% of what I had been doing and focus on the stuff that actually moves the needle. And as soon as I did that, I realized that the majority of the stuff I was doing, and I used stuff in inverted commas, was just a waste of time. Right. Um, and I still see it now. I, I get 
you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on emails, I get people sending me these new killer tactics all the time, the new thing you need to know to run your business. And I keep, I keep looking at these ideas and these information and, and thinking, I don't need any of this. I don't need a new killer strategy. I don't need a new shiny object. What I need to do is look at what I've done before and ascertain, has it worked? If it's worked, good, let's do it again. The amount of times I say to somebody, what's the best piece of marketing you've ever done in your business? And they'll tell me that this wonderful exhibition they put on two years ago, or this sales letter that they once sent, or this campaign that they did when they first launched their business. And then I ask the question, well, if that was the best thing that you ever did in your business, why haven't you done it again recently? I'm just met with this blank stare. Like, oh, oh, I don't know, really. Well, I've been messing around with Facebook ads or webinars because I saw something on Facebook that said this was the new killer thing that I need to do. Just do the right things and do them regularly. And so is, it, is this where your fascination with routine started? It probably is. Um, I wasn't aware that I had this fascination with routines until right. uh, I, I was on a podcast about a year ago, just over a year ago now. And we were chatting about, you know, what I do on a daily basis, how I've had the success that I've had in the businesses. And the host just said to me after we finished recording, so I think for you, John, that the routine is key. You're like the king of routine. And I remember thinking, ooh, king of routine. Yeah, I'm having that. Yeah. So I, I came back and I let my coaching clients know. I said, I, I'm now the king of routine. You will refer to me as such. Um, one of them sent me a T-shirt the next day, which was printed up with the words king of routine on. Mm-hmm. And I thought, the more I thought about this, I thought, actually, the routine is key because I get so upset and so frustrated when things happen to disrupt my routine. Uh, so I've, I've been called the king of routine. Um, the book is called Routine Machine, so I would identify myself as being a routine machine. Uh, my wife has a slightly less flattering moniker for me. She calls me a routine freak. Right. But it is that literally I am almost OCD about my routines. And well, I live uh, and die by them. I was going to ask you about that because, of course, a lot of people have routines because they don't have the courage to let things go and mm. learn new things. So how do you get the balance between sticking to what's known, tried and tested and experimenting? And Because um, of course, in order to be resilient, you have to learn to fail first. So are you just, are you just designing out failure from your process? Uh, I'm not designing out failure. I, you, you can almost have routines that encourage trying new things. So a few years ago, for example, I used to really struggle with self-confidence. And I went to this, this course and this, this NLP practitioner sort of cured me of my self-confidence. But ultimately, what he gave me was a bit of a placebo and a bit of a uh, motivational speech. And what I actually did was take away from that some new routines. So I thought, okay, I've, now I've got this newfound confidence because I, I really struggled with um, talking to strangers was my big thing. I didn't want to. Uh, approach people I didn't know. If I walk into a networking room, I would just break out into a panic and be sweating all over the place. So I just set up these new routines that, okay, every time I go to a training course, my routine is I will sit at the front of the class, not the back of the class, because I would always hide at the back, um, hoping that the lecturer would never never point to me, never make eye contact. I thought, you know what? No, my new, new routine is I'm going to sit at the front. 
during the break, I'm going to speak to the trainer. That's my routine. That's what I'm going to do every time. And I just, it's almost like creating these rules to live my life by, but I'm dictating what the rules are. Um, I'm going to speak to one person per day, one stranger per day. So I used to go to the gym a lot and I used to go into the sauna and you'd sit in the sauna in silence with strangers. So I just said, well, I'm going to create this new routine. Every time someone I don't know walks into the sauna, I'm going to say hi. You're right. Have a good day. Oh, beats working. This doesn't it? Oh, it's hot in here. Some banal opening line just to initiate conversation. If that person wanted to chat, we'd have a chat. If they didn't want to have a chat, we'd grunt at each other and go back to just sweating in the darkness. But ultimately, I set up those routines to put me in that position of feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Um, right. So, but you, and so how did you know how to set up the routine or how do you choose which of the routines to, to set up? Is it, be, is it based on things that you've done in the past which have been successful? It is, and often it's looking at the gap as well. So what do I actually want to change? Um, often I will, a lot of the, the ideas for new routines will come from personal development work that I've done. So I, if I read a book, I will, I have a debrief book reading routine so every time i read a book i will uh, write a debrief and the last book i read was an 11 page debrief which i ended up converting into a 90 minute webinar for, for our clients so it sometimes it's a couple of lines sometimes it's one or two things i'd like to implement but there's always something and i think well actually okay i've got i've got an idea here maybe i'll explore uh what have i looked at recently uh, taking cold showers so i saw some Medical researchers said, oh, cold showers are great for you. Yeah. They may be great for you, but they're horrible to do. Oh, yeah. So let's create a new routine. Let's try this out. And I tried it out about a year ago. It lasted about a week and a half. The pain of the cold shower long, uh, or, you know, massively outweighed the future possible benefits of any health kicks. So I'm back on that now, and I think I'm... As we, are, as we speak now, about a month into this routine, and it's now, the routine is easy now because it's what I do and it's, it's become ingrained. Every time I have a shower, the final minute of the shower just goes to code and my body's adapted to that. Um, but ultimately, these ideas and where I choose, it's about deliberately noticing, <clears throat> excuse me, what you want to change and thinking, okay, what, what is my current routine around this what do you, you know so when you read a personal development book and you put that book down what do you normally do do you just pick up the next book do you do you email the author sometimes you know i will do that and say actually if i've enjoyed the book my routine is i will leave a positive review and i will email the author and the amount of positive um emails i've had back from people who've read my books that makes my day and you know, i literally had one yesterday and emailed this guy and I said you have just made my Monday. Great. Um, you know, you've just absolutely made my day. And it's just that feedback from people. And all that was was a simple email that someone had read the book and thought, I'm going to email the author. You know, he's included the email address in the book. Let me email him in and see, you know, what, what he thinks about this. Amazing to just think what you can do with one little routine. Interesting. And so... And so how do routines help with resilience? I mean, is it, is it actually all part of sort of avoiding decision fatigue? So it takes a load of things away from you that you have to keep deciding. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, you'll, you'll be familiar with um, the chimp paradox, Steve Peters, the, uh, the chimp, the human, and the computer. So ultimately, your routines are the things that are handled by the computer. Um, so we've already got these scripts. We've already got these routines that the computer is just processing day in, day out. Um, and what we're doing, becoming a routine machine, is about the human programming the computer. Because either the human or the chimp has the ability to program that computer. So if we've got scripts that were written 10 years ago by a little screaming, shrieking chimpanzee, we could probably improve that if the human were to just go back and say, well, that, that script, yeah, it works. It's got us through life this far. But let me have a little go at rewriting that script. Let me just tweak it. Let me just change a couple of lines of code. Um, you know, currently you've got this little routine here that you stop in McDonald's on the way home because it's, you know, it's, it's on your drive home. Well, how about we make it so that you pack a nice healthy lunch instead? That, that's, that's all we're doing. Just one little tweak that over time will compound and make a, make, make a very big difference. But ultimately, it's about noticing those little routines and thinking, well, I've already got them. They're already there. They're already happening. What can I do to just, yeah, tweak them, just make them a little bit different? And so, interesting. And so is the idea that you, you speed up because there's less to think about? Is it, I mean, for example, I, I, I had a colleague, my old business partner was, I'm not going to say he was OCD, but he was one of those guys who knew everything. When he used to clean his glasses, it was a 14 stage process of unpacking the glass, unpack, unpacking the, the, the piece of silk, unwrapping it, uh, getting it out, cleaning these glasses, then folding it up again, putting it all aside. And, and he used to say to me, but I never lose it because I spend my entire life running around the house shouting, where's my glasses? Where's my wallet? Where's my phone? <laughs> oh, I'm on the phone. I've got my glasses on. I mean, is it that? Is it really just about saying, actually, if you want to be more productive, you just need to have the things that can be ordered should just be ordered. Exactly. And then you're saving your, let's call them decision calories for the decision that actually matters. You know, what to have for lunch, um, whether to wear the blue tie or the red tie, uh, you know, whether to, oh, I don't know, whether to, you know, walk or get the bus. It, these things, you know, most people waste their decision calories on, oh, I'm watching Strictly Come Dancing, who should I vote for? <gasps> You know, you can't, you can't stop that for good. Now you just you've lost all the goodwill. <laughs> I was sort of, I was sort of with you until, oh, yeah. until you just, you just, you just, just warned me off. Strictly come dancing. <laughs> but ultimately, if that if that is important to you, Russell, then you will have more decision calories, which means you will make a better decision when you're making, you're casting your strictly vote. Yes. No, no, I get it. It makes sense to me. It's, um, and in a way, what you're doing is you're saying, I have more discretionary brain power left over to do things like control my emotional intelligence to make, to live a more authentic life. Because basically, because you're not wasting your time doing all the stuff that you just described, really. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, what was interesting is when we first met each other, which is about three and a half seconds before this podcast began. So that's it. That's it. That's a, That's a, an exaggeration. It was less than that. No, no. Um, you were all over the shop. I was absolutely. Um, my my routines have been uh, disturbed, so I have a go-to routine for podcasts. 
So I've got all my equipment set up here. I've got a, a professional um, microphone here. I've got a mixing desk, which has all been tuned for my voice exactly. It goes into my laptop. I've got the camera set up here. I've got the lighting just right. Everything is exactly as it should be for my, my normal podcast routine. So we've recorded 57 episodes of our own podcast. I've guested on probably about another 40 different podcasts. This is my go-to routine. It happens. I know where all the, everything plugs in. Happy days. I had this all set up with 10 minutes to spare. And then I thought, oh, last part of my routine is I need to actually make sure that all my tabs are closed on the laptop so we don't get any binging or bonging or anything like that. And I thought, oh, actually, whilst I'm here, I'll just reboot my, my laptop um, just to make sure that actually everything's running as fast and as optimal as it can be because we don't want any issues with you know, internet dropping out or anything like that. And seven minutes later, this is probably two minutes before we are due to go live, um, my Windows laptop is telling me that I have 11% of updates processed and this will take some time. At which point I then run around the house like a madman, grab my uh, backup laptop, unplug things, plug it back in, we jump on a Zoom call, I'm then looking at the wrong camera, my microphone isn't working, you can hear me but I can't hear you, I'm then unplugging things, pressing buttons, and I'm panicking because all of a sudden I am now off script. You know, I have my automated computer script that I run and we do podcasts and all my decision calories, all my um, cognitive load can go straight into making sure that we have the best conversation. And instead, the first five minutes of our conversation was, hang on, can you hear me now? Yeah, no, no, try it down a bit. No, hang on, I'm just going to press one more button. Right, turn it up. Yeah, no, I, I can just about hear you now. Oh, and it was, I think you could see the stress on my face, couldn't you, Russell? Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but surely then, so here's my, here's my thinking then, um, does that just make you less flexible? So for example, does, does having too much routine, and, and, and I'm sure you're going to say there's a sweet spot, but actually having too much routine makes you rigid, can it make you less capable of dealing with, you know, um, absolute flexibility, absolute you know, change where you just need to, where you sometimes, you know, you have to be able to operate when all the cards are thrown up in the air. Yeah, I really struggle with anything being thrown up in the air, um, spinning plates, anything like that. I really, really do struggle with that. I do think there's a sweet spot between the discipline that is needed to have routines and freedom. And I think there was a, there was a level of routine that delivers freedom so if you wake up in the morning and you have some set routines that you follow let's say you're going on holiday and there's there's a plan you're doing so we went to uh, disney a couple of years back with the kids and there was a very very strict routine we had this planned out day by day which park we were going to what rides we were going this won't surprise you that the, the king of routine the routine machine has planned out an entire 14 day itinerary <laughs> day by day but ultimately what that gave us was the freedom to know that we were going to the best part the best parts of the best parks at their quietest time it gave us the what freedom about spontaneity what about making it up we should go along about be, the, the joy of the unplanned there there is the joy of the unplanned and i love particularly uh, for me the unplanned is the weekend 
I love my weekends. I saw a fantastic quote the other day which said, weekends don't count unless you do nothing of value whatsoever. So I, I love to have wasted weekends. My, my most favorite conversation with my wife is to say, what are we doing this weekend? Uh, nothing. Oh, bliss. Yeah. Because I do enjoy having nothing to do other than waking up when I wake up and let's read a book or let's watch some TV or let's go for a, a walk or literally, what do you fancy doing today? But if you have that every day, that soon becomes very, very boring and you crave the, uh, the discipline of the routines. Um, so I'm talking about human beings are wired to have more routine than in that case. Sorry? Do you think human beings are wired to have routine if you think we crave it? I think so. I think um, if you, you, know, you go back to caveman times, everybody had a job to do. And there were certain routines regarding guarding the camp and lighting the fire. And we didn't just rock out of our cave when we felt like it and think, well, do you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit hungry now. Shall I go hunting? Oh, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Um, there were, everybody had a job. Everyone had purpose. And I think we didn't crave off days. We didn't crave holidays back then. Um, I think, yeah, there, there's got to be an element of inbuilt desire for some structure. And I know various people will have varying levels of their desire for structure. My, my um, desire is quite high. I, I like to have quite a lot of structure. But for me, the structure is what you build the freedom on. The more structure I have with my business, for example, if I say, right, we've got a business that is... I could, I could run it off one sheet of A4. Do these, uh, there's one business I'm thinking of, we've got 57 things. If these 57 things happen over the course of a year in that business, that business thrives. That is the structure, that is the rigidity, that is the scaffolding that that business is built on. Now, ultimately, that if you do those 57 things, that leaves us a lot of time to focus on some other stuff. Let's do some fun stuff. Hey, should we should we launch a podcast? Should we put on an exhibition? Uh, should we do some Facebook Live videos? Why not? We've got time to do it, but let's not do that at the expense of the structure. Let's get the routine happening first, and then let's look at the, uh, the flexibility on top of that. And you know, you're right. I mean, it's it's not a surprise actually when you think about some of the most um, entrepreneurial some of those people that have the three supercars on the drives that the people who actually have the yachts in the bay and all the things that you talked about oddly enough they have much more in common with your ideas about habits and routines that because actually you can't imagine people who are running a larger organization or even you know a successful small organization rocking up and just making it up as they go along to be a good operator to execute well you have to have these routines don't you Oh, absolutely. I mean, all the best businesses in the world are process-led businesses. You've really got to look at McDonald's or Subway to see, you know, how can a 16-year-old run a business? Well, actually, McDonald's make it very easy for them to because you know, it is completely rigid. There is no flexibility. No, this is how long the burgers get cooked for. This is the level of sauce we put on. This is how many little bits of onion you get one slice of gherkin and it will be delivered in two minutes, 38 seconds. That is what happens. 
Yes, absolutely right. You're abs- absolutely spot on. And um, I'm glad you come around to my way of thinking, Russell. Do you know I was already there? <laughs> and and actually, the, the there's two there's two things two things which I actually have to remark on, which I think are fantastic. Firstly, is you speak out of a lot of sense. It's psychologically valid. Um, it's great for resilience, so that's great. But the second thing is that you've written um, a, a book, uh, which is on Amazon, called Routine Machine, How Successful People Improve Their Morning Routines, blah, 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 blah. 34 five-star reviews. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. It must, have, it must have taken ages to have the routines to fill in all those. <laughs> it is, you've got to open the Amazon account, you've got to buy a few things. <laughs> no, I mean, certainly, you know, I'm not, I mean, you know, as someone who, as someone who's in this world, I know how hard that is to do. And some of the comments about your book are absolutely fantastic. And um, it is actually on my reading list and it has been bought. And so I'll be adding my um, three pennies to it. So, um, so to, to tell you just a little bit more about the book and what's in it and, and how it talks a lot in here about actionable takeaways, what sort of things will people be able to get from this book? So I think where we'll start with the book is that you have already got routines and I'll introduce you to some of the routines that you've already got. And again, I'll walk you through the fact that we've got these computer programs in our head. They're already happening. You've already got them. You don't need any new equipment or anything like that. All we're going to do is deliberately notice, improve, and then automate a handful of those scripts. Again, we're not looking to change everything you do here. And with the book, again, very, very keen to stress that I am not going to impress any of my routines on you. You are going to choose the routines. It is going to be entirely up to you. You have complete freedom of choice. Now, I'm going to tell you in here how I've given up drinking. I've given up smoking. I've lost five stone in weight. I've 10x my business and I've done so much with personal finance and personal relationships and family. I'll tell you all how I've done that in the book, but you do not have to follow my path. You will choose your own path. There's a very, very interesting chapter in the book where I talk about morning routines mm-hmm. and in particularly uh, how I attempted to follow someone else's morning routine. Uh, this was a very, very prominent uh, person who'd written a book all about morning routine and who literally said, in the morning, you will get up at 5 a.m., you will do some affirmations, you will have a healthy green juice, you will do some exercise. And I explained how that really, really, really didn't work for me. And I ended up in a freezing cold house, uh, sat in silence, in the dark, not wanting to wake anyone up, and ended up back in bed at 9am because I was completely shattered. But you, um, are, but you all also are a bit um, conscious of the fact that you will have routines that don't work for you. Yes. And oh, so exactly. So- You've got routines that hurt you. Yeah, Exactly. Um, so again, we will help you with those. So we'll help you make the good routines better. We'll help you get more of those. And we'll also help you to negate the bad routines. And again, we're not, we're not striving for perfection here. What we're looking to do is make the good routines a little bit better and the bad routines a little bit harder to actually implement. And we're going to make this automatic. It's going to be a little bit weird to begin with because you're going to make some change. Like me getting in the cold shower, it's going to be a bit uncomfortable and a bit a bit different. And you're just 
the first few times that I stepped into that shower, I needed to consciously think, oh, hang on a minute, I'm supposed to be having a cold shower, and I needed to override the computer. So the monkey had programmed the computer and said, yep, we have a nice hot shower, and then we get out and we lather off, and there we go. And the human then needed to go, hang on a minute, I've got one little tweak. You can do all that still, but let's start with 30 seconds. Uh, it's now up to a minute. We're just going to turn it to code. And that's just that one little change. And ultimately, eventually, you're going to be able to do this on autopilot. You're going to be able to do it automatically. Yeah. Ultimately, I'm not telling you you need to have code showers. Make that very, very clear. And there's a line I use several, several times in the book, which is that the routine doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that you have a routine that works for you. And is the and is the the point about having unsuccessful routines or routines that hurt you is about creating new routines to replace them rather than beating yourself up and saying, um, you know, sort of you know ripping yourself down. Is is that a fundamental part of what you're? It is. I mean, you can remove uh, bad routines, but ultimately, it's it's a lot easier to replace a bad routine with a positive one. If you're currently smoking twenty cigarettes a day, you can just rip that out of your life. Yeah. But I certainly found when I gave up smoking, where I'm mean, thirteen years ago, uh, no, sorry, sixteen years ago, um, I needed something to do with my hands, and I needed, you know, that crucial first cigarette of the day and the crucial first cigarette after a meal those were important moments that i needed to replace something to do with my hands so i had this little plastic inhaler to begin with and it was a little nicotine inhaler within probably two weeks all the nicotine was gone and i had this little plastic inhaler that i pretended to smoke because i replaced the habit of an actual cigarette with a bit of plastic and then two weeks later i could replace that with oh Let's go to the gym instead. Interesting. Well, all I can say is this, and I don't do this all the time. I've just bought it. So there you are. I'm going to read it. I know Kevin and um, Graham were raving about it. And so I trust those guys. And um, John, it's been a delight to have you um, join us today. And um, the, just remind me of the name of the book in case anyone has forgotten it. <laughs> in case anyone has forgotten it, it is Routine Machine. As I say, it's available on uh, all good bookstores as long as they're called Amazon. That's the one. And on a Kindle device, so I see. So how about that? It is available, yep. Yeah. You've got Kindle, paperback, and soon to be audio as well. So I'm recording the Audible version at the end of this month. Um, so yeah, that's, that's available on there. We've also got um, a free sample chapter available at the website as well. If anyone wants to download um, a free chapter of the book, uh, that's at routinemachine.co.uk. Brilliant. John, thank you so much. It's been a joy to talk to you. Fantastic. Thank you for having me, Russell. No problem. You take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening today. You can go to our site, qedod.com forward slash podcasts and subscribe to hear other titles in our series. Or you can contact us at info at qedod.com to hear and find out more about tough love, leadership, accountability, resilience and burnout. You can go to our site, qedod.com forward slash burnout 2019 to hear and get access to a load of resources to help you manage and fight burnout. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash free ebook to hear more about the fundamentals of resilience. Until the next episode, keep on thriving.